I had said all along, you know, I've been in this, the Senate and the Assembly now for 25 years, and I said that I would not be there when I turned 80. And I had my 80th birthday in September, and I knew it was coming, and it was fact. And so I decided that that was the time to retire. Hi there, it's WAMC News Director Ian Pickus. And on this episode of the WAMC News Podcast, we'll bid farewell to a North Country institution, New York State Senator Betty Little, who's retiring after 25 years in the legislature. Little's been there since 1995 when she won a special election to the state assembly. In 2002, she won the state senate seat that opened with the retirement of Senator Ronald Stafford. A year ago, Little announced she would retire at the end of this term, December 31st. As she approaches the end, Little sat down with WAMC's North Country Bureau Chief, Pat Bradley. Doesn't seem possible, really. And yet it's uh, a year ago that I announced. And when I announced it, you know, I never would have anticipated the kind of year we were going to have. It was before anyone even, or certainly at my level, thought about COVID or any of that. And uh, it's just been an amazing year, so different. But uh, I keep hoping, you know, the end is in sight, the end is in sight. <laughs> I'm getting tired of listening to myself. But, uh, you know, hopefully this uh, vaccine is going to help us and and it is coming out quicker than we thought and hopefully it'll be distributed better. So just to open up. So we have too many small businesses that are struggling and, I mean, they struggled through the summer, and usually the summer and fall is when they put away money to get them through the winter. And now here we are at the winter, and they're really struggling and seeing some having to close and just, you know, give up the ship for a while. So it, it's tough, and a lot of people out of work. You know, people have had to finally bite the bullet and lay off people, which is really difficult. So we're seeing... In our office, the uh, unemployment issues starting to rise again and people trying to get their unemployment and um, make sure they've done all the right things to do it. You mentioned retiring last year and, and what a year it's been. Do you have any regrets since you announced your retirement last year? No, I really don't. <clears throat> I had said all along, you know, I've been in this the Senate and the Assembly now for 25 years, and I said that I would not be there when I turned 80. And I had my 80th birthday in September, and I knew it was coming, and it was fact. And so I decided that that was the time to retire. So, you know, you never know what's ahead of you when you're 80, And but uh, I've seen too many people dozing off. <laughs> during session in chamber because they were older and it was not going to be me. <laughs> so so no. you feel a little young, Betty? <laughs> <laughs> Hardly, but uh, I definitely was not going to be there at the age of 80 and all. And, you know, there are things uh, I'd like to do, mostly travel. I mean, I'm hopeful that uh, this will end so we can travel and do more. I have... Uh, two little grandchildren in Kentucky I haven't seen in over a year. So thank God for technology and Facebook, and we can chat on that. But uh, And I have children in Tennessee and two sets of children in California. Um, 
you know, they're about an hour and a half apart, but uh, still haven't seen a lot of them either. So I'm anxious. Uh, yeah. It'll be different, though. It, it certainly will be different to not be involved in all that's going on. And I'm very grateful that I'm going to be on the order board. I am. We've already started. <clears throat> and, you know, these games, 2023, I've been involved in those. We haven't been able to attend. They were supposed to have taken place in January of 2021 in Switzerland, and they have postponed them until December. So hopefully they go forward because then we're next after that. And we will plan on having them January 2023. So um, a lot of investment in our our venues. And uh, we really are going to be, we call ourselves the winter sports capital of the world, of the country, but we are going to definitely have some of the best facilities in the United States. Um, and not having had an Olympics since 1980, uh, we have that history of 1932 and 1980, but the venues, if they hadn't had major investments through the years, and most recently, probably the biggest investment ever to get ready for these games, uh, we would not be able to call ourselves the winter sports capital, but we will have, you know, the best venues. And uh, I think that uh, these games will be something that New York State will be proud to be the host of. That kind of touches on a question that I have. You've been in Albany for 25 years representing this district. How has it changed? And this is kind of three parts. Structurally, you mentioned the Olympic venues, and obviously they've had upgrades over those 25 years. But the district as a whole, how has it changed structurally, politically, and demographically over those years? We certainly have seen changes politically. I think that uh, uh, there's a lot of blanks registered Uh a lot of people register as independents. They don't realize that's a party, and uh, they're just trying to be independent. But uh, we've seen uh, changes that way. And, and yet when you look back, I think in this district, a lot of people really and truly look at the candidates. And there are a lot of straight-line voters, and if they believe in their party and believe that everybody there is who they want to see elected, you know, do so that way. But there's a lot of people who jump around and who pick on the candidates they like the best. And um, I've been very grateful for the people that have voted for me. Um, they thank me for my service. I thank them for their vote. or <laughs> I never would have been able to do this. And uh, so that's changed. Uh, technology has changed. Um, and I think when I first got elected, um, second homes didn't play as important a role in our community. And I wouldn't say they were frowned upon or looked down upon, but they weren't a very important part of our hospitality, our tourism, our things. But uh, they are now. That's a big part of um, who we are, and they help our economy, the people that come here. And with the technology, many of them stay longer than they would have. And if we improve our internet service and improve our cell service, they will stay even longer. And I do think that with this virtual work and working from home, uh, people could live in the North Country and work any place. Uh, 
I have a son that works for Apple, and he told me he's out in San Jose, California, and the the campus is Cupertino. He has not been at the office. He's worked from home since the beginning of March, and they're saying they won't be back until July. And uh, somebody in his company he was telling me about had moved to Austin, Texas, and is working remotely from there. So the idea that people can live one place and work someplace else is going to help us, and I think that will help us. We have to improve our year-round population because every year we see it decline, and if we're going to have sustainable communities and schools and good health care, we need more people living here year-round. So I think this could help us, and this is our future, really. Well, I remember years ago... The big issue, and one of the big issues that you were working on, was trying to at least get cellular service along the Northway. <laughs> and now it's getting broadband throughout the North Country. Um, how ha, how big a struggle has keeping up with the technology been for this district? Well, it's very difficult. Um, you don't have the population base to make it uh, really financially attractive to the companies. Uh, most of the hamlets and, and small areas, populated areas, do have Internet service within them. But the people who live in rural areas, it's very difficult for them to get. And, you know, they can get it through satellite. But, like, um, I was at a conference, I think it's like two or three years ago, and Hughes Network was going to be launching another satellite and improve their service. And I just found out maybe six months ago they hadn't launched it yet. And so it's supposed to be, you know, being launched this winter, but that doesn't work for a lot of people. There's not enough capacity for them to do it. And and even on the cell phone issue on the Northway, which I travel quite often, um, as often as I used to, because I haven't been traveling that much, but there are capacity issues too. You know, in the summertime, you go by Lake George and it drops your calls because there's so many people using their cell phones and downloading data and all of that. So um, 26 and 25 exits used to be very good. Now it's uh, capacity is down a little bit. So that still needs work. We have to keep up these things and stay up to date with them. But it's important. And this is an international highway between Canada and New York. And hopefully the international tourists will start going again. I mean, that's really hurt our area, not having the Canadian uh, people coming into our area. Even over in Malone, they have that big golf course, and the hotel would have golf packages and and ski packages for Titus Mountain, and they're hurting. They're not seeing that. So hopefully, you know, I know the last thing ends pretty soon. Hopefully they don't keep extending it. I guess we'll see on the Canadian-U.S. Yeah. border. Yeah. 25 years is a long time. Mm-hmm. When you look back, you know, obviously a lot of people are remembering the last few years. But looking back over the 25 years, what do you feel are some of the most important bills that you've passed or been involved mm-hmm. with? Um, invasive species, aquatic invasive species. I was on that. Uh, when I was on the county board and Lake George was being 
infiltrated with milfoil and, uh, you know, the prospects seemed disastrous, which they didn't end up being. So, uh, but trying to get a handle on that right from the beginning. And and we did. I sponsored a bill in the assembly with uh, Senator Pat McGee, who's deceased now, in the Senate. And uh, Governor Pataki put money in the budget, $25 million, uh, that DEC has been able to help local governments and uh, lake associations with eradicating, and then DEC has done, used a lot of the money for prevention and for uh, studies and all of the things that they have done, and now the boat washing stations and you know working on that and getting boaters involved and keeping their boats clean. I mean, certainly it is behooves them to have good, clean lakes to go boating and swimming on. And so keeping their boat clean is their best way of making sure that we have those good, clean lakes and all. So and now we're working on road salt, which has been something uh, we started working on about four or five years ago. Um, and there was a pilot project in Lake George. took a lot to get it started, and they finally did it and used different kinds of equipment and drove slower and, you know, dispersed the salt and the mixtures better. So... Um, those things have been important. Um, and one one bill came up the other day that I hadn't thought about for a long time. But, you know, if you accidentally cut down a tree on someone's property, or if you did it intentionally even, um, stealing a tree, the fine was $10. So even if the tree was a walnut tree <laughs> or a great big oak tree or something that had a lot of value and you just crossed the lines and got it or even got onto state land doing that. And now the uh, we increased the penalty to three times the value of the tree, and the value of the tree was the type of wood and what it provided for that area. So um, that was one. Um, something I worked on for a long time, our farmers up here, our apple orchards, they bring in workers from Jamaica and all, and they would have to pay unemployment insurance on these workers. And stated in the contract was that these workers could never collect unemployment. So finally this year it got put in the budget. I had but bills all along, and it, it was part of the farm bill, um, the, which had a lot of bad things in it. But the good thing it had was they no longer have to pay unemployment insurance if they don't qualify for unemployment, and they certainly never qualified for that. And, and another bill that um, has a lot of impact was adverse possession you know, you could um, just claim a person's property. And we had a case uh, that was brought to me where the person just moved his fence over and over and over and uh, finally said that there was a straight line of demarcation between the two houses, but it was part of the neighbor's property that he had taken, and they had to go to court over it. But he, it was like they never noticed, and so therefore it is. And what happens now is you have to have some kind of documentation as to why you believe that piece of property was yours or that border line was wrong. And you can't just put a picnic table down and start using it and say, this is my property now, even though. And this was happening, and it was happening for people who had large tracts of property and weren't always watching their other borders and you know, it'd be houses on the other street, and they're, and then they would encroach on 
the person's property and, you know, set up picnic tables, swing sets, and all. Suddenly it became theirs. So uh, that was that was a big one to get through. And, um, you know, we've done a lot for net metering so that if you you could have community net metering and you could actually get the benefit of the net metering. And we worked hard on that. And then we found that the companies were saying that the net metering was you had to reach the demand charge, the highest demand charge every day before you were going to get reimbursed for power. And we got that changed. So that makes it work. And, and you know, you can you can set up a a solar farm or a wind farm or a hydro even and have a group, a community benefit from that and they all share in the savings and the power that it generates. So um, a lot of things along those lines. And um, another big one was um, um, recalls on your car. Um there's not always a connection. Now, if you buy your car from a dealership and you have your car serviced at that dealership all the time, they would check because they could fix the recall and the manufacturer would be paying them for it. So that was a, an income for them. But if you bought a car from someone else or a secondhand lot or something like that or got it transferred from a family member, there was no recalls that you were ever going to get. And we had a bill that would say that when you got your registration, your annual registration every single year, that they would tell you whether you had a recall. They would connect you to this .gov where they would talk about and they would tell you whether there was a recall on your car. And, you know, there were all these reasons why DMV couldn't do it. And then they finally figured out. So the bill never passed, but DMV figured out how to do it. So now when you do get your yearly um, inspection of your car and you get the inspection sheet, it will say on it whether you have a recall. So, you know, I think that's good. We had somebody who, you know, had they gotten the recall, maybe he wouldn't have been killed. They don't really know, but it was one of those um, starter ignition things, I think is what they determined failed. But that um, happened even though the bill never passed. No, the bill didn't pass. Sometimes it's the idea, and that's okay, too. <laughs> you know, if it happens, if it's all about the end result. <laughs> you know, and the constitutional amendments, um, I've sponsored five constitutional amendments and actually participated in an amendment to a previous constitutional amendment when I was first elected and Senator Stafford was in the Senate on that one. But um, the most significant one is really this um, land bank because we have roads and bridges and culverts and things like that that the road is unsafe, but if the land on both sides of it is forest preserve, you couldn't do a thing about it. And this bill says that every road in the Adirondacks can be 59 and a half feet wide. So it can be more on one side, or it can be more on the other side, or it can be split evenly. But there are places, and one significant one I will tell is the Cascade Road. You know, if I'm in the passenger seat and we're driving back from Lake Placid, there are sections there where you are looking at the water when you look out your window. 
and something has to be done. I know that we've worked hard with DOT, getting that on a priority. You can't wait until, you know, the road collapses and then you have to do something about it. And they have worked. They do have plans as to how they would widen that road and and fix that. And if we can get money from this uh, federal government, some big infrastructure money like they've had in the past, uh, it would take upwards of $30 million to fix that road. And it's probably only a big, maybe a mile to two-mile section that has to be fixed. So um, I think that that constitutional amendment helps that. And it helps a lot of places where, you know, a really bad curve, but you can't change it. Uh, so a lot of things that can be done with that. And and I, I can't wait to see it get tested a little bit better and people starting to use that amendment and be able to, you know, use that f- formerly forest preserve land that could now be used to uh, make the road safer. Betty... You've been praised for being able to work across the aisle effectively. What's your secret to successful bipartisanship? Well, you know, there are people that don't like people because they're of the opposite party. <laughs> and, and I don't You've think, noticed, huh? I've noticed, yeah. And, you know, and um, I just have never felt that way. Uh, that, you know, you know, the party is something because you believe in certain policy issues while you belong to a party. But um, I I just feel that in order to get results, you need to get people on board. And regardless of what party they are, you know, to work work with them and, and you like them and you become friends. I mean, Andre Stewart-Cousins is the majority leader now, the first female majority leader in the New York State Senate or Assembly. Uh, in, ever in history. And uh, when she was elected to the Senate, she was like the the Democrat co-chair of the local government committee that I was chairman of. And we worked together on everything, and we have remained friends. Um, you know, she calls me. I talk to her, and I really feel she's a friend. And, um, you know, the governor has been very good to the North Country, and uh, we've had, you know, Governor Pataki was good to the North Country. Um, I don't think um, Governor Spitzer was too interested. He was too busy to be involved in the North Country. He wasn't there long enough anyway, thank goodness. But, uh, and and Governor Patterson, you know, so-so, caught up here a little bit, but probably didn't appreciate it as much um, with his handicap of being blind, and that is so important to the view here, but um, it, really, Governor Cuomo has uh, enjoyed coming here as a family. They used to go to Lake George years ago and on, and and, and he um, loved to go to Saranac Lake and Lake Placid, but he not only liked the area for the beauty and all of that, he began to appreciate the needs that were here, and that because we don't have a large population that it's difficult to get anybody's attention. It's difficult to get your hands on some of the money that the state is doling out. Um, you know, certainly our legislators, we try to get it for our North Country all the time. But he appreciated the fact that people were struggling to make a living up here. 
and especially within the Adirondack Park and in other all sections of the North Country. And yet he felt it had a lot of potential. And I think when he did these regional economic development councils and said there are 10 areas of the state and they can all compete for big money, but they can all get a share of the money. And that helped us tremendously. I mean, we actually got money for projects that could still be on the drawing board if we hadn't had those regional economic development councils. And certainly Gary Douglas and Tony Collins being the co-chairs. Um, and they stayed there for like 10 years. So we had continuity and consistency and history. And um, we benefited a tremendous amount from that. And I credit the governor for the idea for those things. And then the other thing, when he had these Adirondack challenges, um, he brought people up here, and and I know, you know, having legislators here, and then we'd be doing a constitutional amendment that affected the Adirondacks, and, and then they kind of understood it, and that was so much more important because they had been here, and a lot of them came up here, and, and out of their mouths, they would say, I've never been north of Albany, you know, and I think I always thought that, but <laughs> now you're telling me for real. <laughs> So um, I think those things have been key. And, you know, why not work together? It's the only way you're really going to get results. A couple months ago, it was revealed that uh, you're dealing with, I believe it's breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel that it's important to, to talk about it publicly, what you're facing? And, and secondarily, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, finally. It's okay. Had a few complications, but I'm finally, um, and ended up with three surgeries. So, but uh, I'm doing fine. And, you know, at my age, it's not a big deal. Uh, better me than my daughters, daughters-in-laws with, you know, young families and all. And I didn't really think that I would tell anybody about it. So I hadn't told my kids until I knew what was going to happen, when it was going to happen. And, um, you know, they were a little annoyed, but they understood. So, and, um, but because, you know, I was due to have a mammogram in March, and of course, COVID happened. And so I finally went for a checkup in July, just, just to do, do something, you know, I knew it was due, and I, I did, and had a mammogram then, and that's when it was discovered. And it never would have been discovered um, if it wasn't through the mammogram and the digital mammograms that are so exact and really, you know, from that it went to an ultrasound and to a biopsy and all that. So it wasn't something, I mean, I probably could have lived with it for a long time before I would have known about it even. But um, because of that, my daughter said, Mom, you know, maybe you should tell people because people are not getting checkups like they should because of COVID. And I said, well, I don't know. Let me think. And then I thought, well, how, how am I any different from anybody else, you know? And why should I be not wanting to say, you know, what was going on? So um, I thought about it, and we did a little statement that we were going to make. And I was getting my hair cut, and I read it to the woman that was cutting my hair. And um, I said, what do you think? And she said, uh, I think someone's going to go to the phone and make an appointment. 
And I thought, okay. So so then we went ahead and did it. And uh, Mark Mulholland's wife died of breast cancer at 37. And it was just tragic with two children, five and seven years old. And so knowing that, you know, it was going to go from a statement to a, you know, bigger press thing, we talked to him and did an interview with him. And, uh, you know, it was funny, the day after it came out, I got a call from our majority leader in the Senate, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and she called and said, I just want to tell you, I made an appointment this morning. So um, I don't think my hairdresser knew that's who was going to be the one making the call. But uh, so I felt it was worthwhile. It's raising awareness about the necessity for women to have mammograms. Mm -hmm. How scary is it when you get the diagnosis? I I don't know how I reacted. I just thought I I got a phone call. um, And they were supposed to call on Friday, and they didn't call. And then Monday came, and I didn't hear from them on Monday. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if something's going on. And then finally the doctor's office called late Monday afternoon, and that's when she said, you know, that it was cancer. So I said, well, what do we do, you know, and just take care of it. So, um, you know, it, it really, I mean, 80 years old, it's not a big deal at my age to go through this. And so I'm very, very grateful that I got this far without having it. Uh, I am going to have genetic tests done next week to see if it's something that my daughters might, you know, have to watch out for. And actually, I said to one of my daughters, you know, if I died at 75, you never would have known this was in the family. So she said, that's a strange way to look at it. I said, well, it's true. So um, I just think it's important. And and like I said, um, you could not feel it. And I had three different doctors examine me, and they could not find anything feeling it. So the mammogram is the key. And these digital mammograms are, like, superior to what we had 10, 15 years ago. So go out and get your mammogram. Get it. And it's free. If you don't have insurance, it's free. New York State will pay for it. So the Adelphi um, Breast Cancer website, when you go on that, they'll tell you how to do it. But um, so we should do it. They, but screening for breast cancer, for colon cancer, and prostate cancer in New York State is free if you don't have insurance. If you have insurance, they're going to charge the insurance. But if you don't have it, you can still get it. Well, Betty Little, hopefully we'll be able to chat with you on some of your other forays on boards and things like that, uh, the upcoming games and yeah. Lake Placid and things like that. Well, I'll be like available. That. I won't have a lot to do. <laughs> that worries me. <laughs> I don't think I've ever in my life not had a lot to do. So uh, with six kids and... I don't know. It sounds like from earlier in the conversation, you've got plenty lined up. I think so. Yeah. I'm very fortunate. And I'm just, I can't even begin to tell you what an honor and and how wonderful it has been representing the people of this district and the people I've gotten to know that I wouldn't have known and places I wouldn't have been. so many great people and people working really hard, not just for themselves and for their families, but for their community as well. It's just an incredible experience. And I have, 
I, I say I loved every minute of it, almost every minute, but <laughs> there were probably a few that, you know, four o'clock, five, six o'clock in the morning, and you're getting up to speak in session. It's not much fun. But uh, I, I've just been so privileged to do this and, and be part of it. And uh, so it's been a good life. Thank you. And thanks for always answering the calls from us. Uh, oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, thanks to my colleague Pat Bradley for that interview with retiring New York State Senator Betty Little. That does it for this episode of the WAMC News Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. Till next time, I'm Ian Pickus.